Hey everyone, I'm Karen Walby Solomon, and welcome to What's IGN Crushing On, IGN Africa's official entertainment podcast. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by my producer and editor, Rebecca Barchers. Hello. So, this is a show where we discuss all things entertainment and pop culture with a new guest every week. We bring recommendations, news, and fun facts, sometimes touching on the more serious issues surrounding these topics. For those of you who are familiar with our show, nothing much has changed. We just have a new name and are adding in new segments. This week on the show, we have the editor of IGN Africa, Zaid Creel. He chats to us a bit about IGN, and we go into detail about the new Mulan film, Disney remakes, and gaming. We do have some spoiler alerts for the new Mulan film and Downton Abbey. But before we get to that, Rebecca, what have you been crushing on this week? I signed up for Netflix officially, um, which means I now have a new addiction. Um, but I, I found myself well, like deep into Arrested Development. I still think it's one of the funniest comedies out there and Tobias Funke is <laughs> my main man. He is not the best to look at, but he is hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I've been listening to a couple of uh, local podcasts and also Conan. Always um, Conan. Conan. Yeah, the Conan classic. The but also Michelle Obama, man. Have you listened to any of Michelle Obama's podcasts? Actually, side note, I don't know if I'm going to add this to the thing. No, I have not yet. I just watched a documentary. Oh, okay. I liked it. But um, no, I haven't listened to it yet. What I'm hating now on Spotify is that they give you suggestions of other podcasts based on what you listen to. Now, there's yeah. so many more that I want to listen <laughs> to. I'm still behind on like 90% of podcasts. Yeah, but the beauty of a podcast is like it's always there. And yeah, so you don't have to, you don't, you literally don't have to listen to all the episodes. So even with this podcast, you don't have to, like, you can just pop in mm. um, based on the, based on like who the guest is on, who, on what the topic is. You can pop in and have a listen. It doesn't, it doesn't follow. Yeah, but it's I'm not like, like a, a, a story that you need to follow. I'm like a perfectionist. I need to listen to every episode. Unless oh, it's like a well, lot. Then and I then I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> What I've been crashing on this week is um, the new show, Julie and the Phantoms on Netflix. It's, oh. it's like a teen tween show, but it's about this girl who, um, after the death of her mother, she, she loses her passion for music. And then she like puts this CD that she finds in a CD player and this, this dead band from the 90s lands up in her like garage. But what? it's like these three teenage boys and it's just, so funny the songs are so liquor it's like it's like i've been listening to the soundtrack all week like i love it it's like such catchy music and it's just just like such a beautiful way to look at like the process of grieving because everyone in the show is grieving in a different way and it's very good i really loved it but let's get into today's interview with zaid (laughs) so hi zaid welcome to what's ign crashing on yeah, it's a little bit of a different name. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly, just a slight little tweak. But I like it. I like it very much. So have you been? How's these uh, corona, quarantine, lockdown treating you? Situation? Mm-hmm. I mean, like I'm, like, I'm sure, like you, I'm so duck of hearing this question. <laughs> but it seems like whenever you talk to somebody, anybody recently, you can't not talk about corona. It just... 
Mm. It just keeps coming up because, I mean, you're in it all the time. But yeah, I'm like, my default answer is always doing as well as can be expected. Mm. Um, so at the moment, we kind of doing, um, I'm like, I'm purposely sitting in a situation where you can just see a white wall normally. When I do Zoom calls, I've like I've done that thing, you know, where people make a, a liquor background <laughs> <laughs> behind them so that they look dope or whatever. But since we've been locked at home, we're actually doing a bit of like um, not building per se, but we're repainting certain stuff, um, fixing my kids' room up and stuff like that. So I'm actually in the lounge of my house now, having this like doing this podcast. And it's a huge mess. I'm at, sitting at the kitchen. T- I don't know why I'm describing this. I purposely said this. You can't see the stuff. But in any case, there's uh, stuff all over the house. The house is a bit of a mess and so on. So, you know, that's kind of the, the way the, the world works right now. Um, but yeah, we're surviving. I think um, in my house, we're probably doing a lot better than a lot of other people. Because IGN is a um, an online publication. We've I think we've done a lot better than some other places. Um, I think you know from personal experience yeah. um, how that works. Uh, so we're surviving. We did suffer a bit in the beginning, but we're bouncing back. Um, my wife's doing okay. I'm doing okay. The kids are schooling at home. Oh, okay. um, well, one of them we just sent back to school yesterday, but that's all other story. And um, yeah, we, like, I wish I could be more excited about the, the, this question. <laughs> it's like, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and and I relax and I like the more I'm talking, the more dire this answer is becoming. So I'm going to ask if we can move on to the next okay. question. I'm just going to go with the no comment. Okay, so let's okay, so let's talk a bit more about you. So, why did you decide to become a journalist or go into media? Um, I think you know. Uh, like with, with so many people that I didn't really decide anything mm. um, if we're being honest I've actually got this weird situation where and it's funny I was talking to my wife about it yesterday I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished school like so many people mm. right all I knew at, at that time was that I wanted to be in media in some capacity I wanted to make tv commercials or Hollywood or direct or act or something that's what I wanted to do right my mother wanted me to be an engineer uh-huh. Those things are completely the same. So she insisted that I apply to um, Old Cape Tech, like you young people know it as Kaput. So I applied for engineering there and then as a secondary, because uh, you back then you needed to apply for more than one thing. They always told you, like, apply for this and apply for something else. So as a secondary, I applied for marketing. And then the idea was like, because I didn't even really know what marketing was at that stage. I just thought, oh, well, that's advertising. Advertising means I'll be able to make TV commercials. That's like where my aim was at. And then of course, um, for reasons we won't get into like now, I only did five subjects in the trick for some, um, right? And then not expecting to pass. And then I like actually passed amazingly well and didn't get an exemption because I only did five subjects. And then, but I did really well in those five subjects. So I applied anyway. And then like I was saying, so I was talking to my wife yesterday because I didn't get in and then I went to go and speak to the Dean of Admissions. And then I convinced the Dean of Admissions to let me talk to the head of the marketing department. And then the head of the marketing department was like, okay, well, you don't have an exemption. You don't have all your subjects, but we're going to let you in anyway. And we'll see what happens. And so and I realized like just yesterday that he probably only let me do that because like I, um, I display as white. You know, like if, if you don't know me and you see me in public, 
you'll think I'm a white guy. And I was like, wow, it's like if, if my name had been Tabo and I tried that, probably nothing would have happened. So I was like circling way of getting like to a, a woke topic, but just something that occurred to me yesterday. And so then anyway, I did two years of marketing. I was like, this is not what I thought it was like at all. Because the plan was, like I said, I'll, I'll make TV commercials. Mm. And then I dropped out after two years. And then as I was leaving, I saw, I, for whatever reason, I picked up a pamphlet for Cape Tech short courses that they had. And one of those short courses was uh, media and broadcast studies uh, with an emphasis on the radio. And so then I did that finished that course and then like not a word of a lie right i finished that course i phoned cape talk radio and i said to them listen you guys have a tech show i'm very interested in tech and i'm also like very interested in gaming can i review games on that tech show and for whatever reason this very nice lady receptionist actually put me directly through to kino kamis who was the Okay. the host of the show at the time, right? That's unusual. They don't normally do that, mm. but she did it. I told him and he was like, yeah, sure, come and do it. And then I started going to Cape Talk Radio once a week to talk about video games. And then um, probably talk, talking, out of, uh, talking out of the bedroom now, but then Akino had a falling out with his current producer and the guy was like, he doesn't want to work with Kino anymore. And then he like literally said to me, do you want to do this? And I was like, okay. And then literally the next day I was a radio producer. And I did that for three years and I've just been stuck in media. It's like, it's, <laughs> uh, like, like I said, I didn't choose any of that. I never planned for it to go that way. And I worked in the radio for three years. Uh, when Cape Talk, at that time, Cape Talk was, was an, I think it was an independent company. It was bought over by Prime Media, which is the group that owns KFM. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of an upheaval in there. And then, because of the uncertainty of what was happening with the merger, the company wasn't very forthcoming with the people that were working there about what was going on. Um, and so I got a new job because I needed job security. I just had, just had another baby, mm. went to job security. Then I got a job in television and I did that for two years. And then the job in television kind of ended because the show was canceled. And then I just dropped from media job to media job after that, usually writing or whatever. But the thing is, is that like, during all that period, like the thing that got me started kind of like was the video games, right? Mm. And then even though my actual job eventually evolved into like being a radio producer and effectively like becoming a, like a hardcore journalist, so to speak, with no formal training, just kind of learning it as you go. Mm. Video games was always a part of that. So I always tried to find avenues where I could talk more and more about video games. So I would write for various websites, anybody that I could find that even showed a vague interest in it. I saw it, they wrote something about video games. Mm. That's my thing. I would do that. Uh, and then fortunately, I was it after the web. There was a web. There's, I don't know if it still exists, but there used to be this hugely popular website in the early days of South African internet called um, iAfrica.net or something. Yeah. And they were in the same building as Cape Talk. I think and so I got like, I think that all man, them. I I don't know. I don't know. I know that up until a few years ago they were still in operation, but I I don't think mm. anybody goes there anymore or whatever. And so I started writing for them like on a like a freelance but basically permanent basis mm. for like the longest time. And then I suppose at some point after that, they got like a permanent tech editor. And then that guy started doing it on his own. And I found by the way, so, but I would always find some outlet where I was allowed to do this. And then I worked for a long time, like from the gaming side now, I worked for a long time for MWeb. MWeb, 
they did like a thing where they were really pushing gaming and they put together like this really small team of guys that could write about gaming. But over the years, they started losing interest because I don't think it was like MWB isn't a publication. Man. MWB is, a, mm. is an ISP, right? The whole thing is we want to connect people to the internet. We're not trying to educate them about video games. And after a couple of years, that fell through. And one of the things that I did early on, like this whole journey with IGN was like almost like a 10-year journey. So like the timelines of how I'm telling you the story is like really mixed up. I should actually write this down one day. But at some point, like when I first started at Cape Talk, I noticed that there was a difference between IGN.com and IGN.com Australia. And I thought, mm. well, that, that's very interesting. They have a separate office in Australia. And so I emailed, I started looking for emails for someone that works at IGN, IGN. And just for interest's sake, like, I don't know if I, like, uh, like I said, I'm telling the story like in a hobnob kind of way. Like, so IGN is one of the oldest websites on the internet. It was founded in 1996, like with a focus on, on video games in particular. So it's like, it's like one of the OG websites and it's mm. like still going. And like up till today, it is the number one biggest video game website in the world, right? The second biggest is a site called GameSpot which ironically enough was my preferred, <laughs> was my preferred <laughs> place to get my video game news. But like IGN is like tens of millions of readers bigger than GameSpot. Mm. Like, I don't know if that's currently true, but it was at one stage, right? Like, it's like the difference of like 100 million to 80 million readers, something like that. So anyway, I started looking for emails. And then the guy that founded IGN is a guy called Pierre Schneider, and he still works there. I think he's the only person of the original IGN team who's still there. And somehow... I got this guy's email address. This was like all the, all the years of working at Cape Talk, which like taught me how to find people and track people and whatever. And I emailed <laughs> Pierre Schneider and I'm like, hey man. Well, I mean, I didn't say it like that. <laughs> In the email, I was like, hey man, I noticed you have like an IGN, like America, and you have like an IGN Australia. Would you be interested in like an IGN South Africa? And then he linked me up with somebody because they hadn't really done something like that, but he hooked me up with someone within the company. And I then, I've still got these emails because I literally founded, um, a, like I started a CC in pursuit of this, like of creating this uh, licensee relationship. And there's about 10 years of emails between myself and this guy and then his replacement and then his replacement. Sure. Trying to negotiate to create an IG in Africa. And in the interim between my initial email and me eventually becoming the editor of an IG in Africa, I, I'm, I'm not saying that it was my idea, but I'm convinced it is. In that interim, they started creating regional offices for IG all over the world. So there's an IG in UK office, there's an IG in Israel, there's an IG in Middle East, there's an IG in China, and so on. Almost every country in the world has an IG in office, and it all works on a licensee basis. Mm. Um, and they didn't start doing that until I said something. So I'm taking credit for the idea. I don't care what, what anybody says. <laughs> and then eventually, 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 they started talking to me seriously about it because I'd been training emails for so many years. And then long story short, in 2016, like the paperwork was signed and I was the editor of IGN Africa. And that's how that happened. So, I mean, there's a bit more details in that. Like if, if we want to talk just about the birth of IGN Africa, we can get to, but that's, that's how I got into it. And so for the last four years, yeah. Yeah. We like, I think in August, which was the beginning of our, our fifth year, I've been doing this IGN thing. And the irony of course is, is that when you grow up, like as a huge video game fan, right? Your mind is like, I don't know how to make video games. I'll never have those skills, but I can work in video game reporting in some capacity. Mm. 
And I did that for the longest time. And once this has happened, because this was like, like a dream come true for me to work for the biggest video game website in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? I actually have like an email address that's at IGN.com. That's massive. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be playing video games all the time. <laughs> it's going to be amazing and whatever. And then, of course, what ended up actually happening is, is that I spent all my time in a managerial position. That's, I do more admin and management. I play very little video games. I mean, I, I, which is, I, mean, I do play them, but I play them very little, uh, way less than I would like to. Um, and I spend more time trying to do business dealings for the website to keep it operational. And I spend more time creating revenue reports and things like that. And then obviously just also maintaining the site itself, curating the site. Mm. Um, I thought at the very least I'd get to write more. I'd have the freedom to write about things that I'm actually interested in. Um, and I write very, very little content on the site myself, um, which is like kind of upsetting because I have all these opinions and, and no time mm. to actually do them. Um, but yeah, but that's, that's me. So that's kind of like where I come from. And then of course, so then like people that are listening are like, okay, well, why, why is Karen talking to a guy about video games? Like I thought this was like a pop culture. Pop, oh, pop video games is part of pop culture. I, I yeah, that's like, yeah, that's point number one. And then number uh-huh. two, it's like one of the things that IGN learned pretty early on, and you'll see this on almost every video mm. game focused website, is that like people that like video games tend to like comic books, tend to like sci-fi yeah. movies, tend to like television. It's like, it's not our only interest. So like if you go to IGN.com now and you shoot www.IGN.com, <laughs> go there now, you'll see that the content we like, yeah, we've got a, a, like a focus on video games, but there's a lot of movie content on there. Mm. There's like interviews with, with celebs. There's like deep dives into like, what is the meaning of the new Dune trailer and all of that kind of jazz. So these things are very much intertwined. Um, and so that's also become an interest for me. I've probably done, actually, the funny thing is, I've probably done more entertainment-based stuff over the last while than, uh, than video game stuff. But that's kind of like our focus, um, how big the focus for us is on pop culture and entertainment and so on as well. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just it's not just genre fair, so to speak. Mm. I mean, just yesterday we actually did, I, I chose not to publish it locally because um, as far as I'm aware, the movie's not getting a release locally. But there's this new film called One Night in Miami. I don't mm-hmm. know if, if you know about it. No. Right? So Regina King, you know Regina King, right? Yes. Um, yeah, she directed it. Just the one she directed. She directed it. Yes. It's her directorial debut. So we gave that movie a 10 out of 10. Right? Apparently, it's it's phenomenal. So one of the, the film festivals? Yeah, it's been released in, in some of the first film festivals. And I think it's oh. going to be on Amazon. So I'm kind of hoping oh, okay. it does, does come here because I want to see it. Right? But that's not a genre film mm. per se. You know, that's not MCU. That's not That's not a DC film. There's no science fiction in there. There's no monster, whatever. That's a, a straight-up drama. It's a fictionalized drama, but it's still it's a, it's a straight-up drama. And that was still a film that we covered and put on the on the homepage, whatever. Because people, like I keep saying, it's like people have cross interests. And just because you love video games more than anything else, and you're willing to spend eleven grand on a console or whatever, like you you're still gonna watch a movie. You're still gonna read a comic book. So yeah, that's kind of like what what IGN is, I guess. Like just come there for everything. Just just so long as you go there, I don't care why. <laughs> just <laughs> type in www. I don't care why. <laughs> but there's a lot I don't of. Care why. Just come there. But I mean, there's a lot of things on the side that that might interest anybody, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Look, we do. Um. Like we even do a bit of like just basic science stuff. Also, like yesterday, we, oh, we wow. published a story about um, 
We don't do it as often, but we mm. cover them. We published a story about how I could be misremembering this, right? So don't crucify me. But like, <laughs> I think the headline is something like the moon is rusting and we have something to do with it. I know that sounds like tabloid nonsense, but I'm sure there was a <laughs> proper scientific reason behind, <laughs> behind it. And we'll do stuff like when the Mars rover does something or there's mm. an asteroid or um, we also, you know, that whole story about how, what was it? When they discovered that old crystal dagger that's like 14,000 years old or something. Do you know the story? Like in Spain, right? So they found like a, a knife mm-hmm. that's uh, like a prehistoric knife from Neanderthal times, whatever, but it's made of crystal. And then we like published that story because it ties into this whole fantasy trope of an ancient mm. cursed dagger that's found <laughs> or, or whatever. And it's like the old, Twitter went a bit semi-mad for it, but it's like, no guys, just put that knife away. It's obviously <laughs> cursed. It's 2020. We're not taking chances. So just go off, I believe, kind of thing. So what would you say has been the most exciting moment in your career like this far? Oh, um, so like I've been very lucky. Like I said, like for someone that fell into the stuff, I've been very lucky. I've like gotten to meet like huge celebrities mm. and gotten to see, like see things about movies and games and stuff way ahead of time for other people. But I probably the best thing that happened to me actually happened about everything feels forever ago since COVID happened, but this was mm. probably two years ago. So um, we have, a, I think we have a mutual friend on Twitter, Zayan, right? Yeah. Uh, Zayan and our friends in real life also, but okay. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we have, we have, we have a mutual friend. It's like you seem to know everybody. I know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I probably started following you then as a result of her, I would guess. Um, Cause that's how we first met on, mm. on Twitter. But anyway, she was invited by Netflix to do an interview with Charlie. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that plays Daredevil. Um, Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox, yeah. Right. She was invited to do an interview by Netflix with Charlie Cox. And then her passport wasn't up to date and she couldn't go. But initially, she, she was going to do the story for, I think, for News 24, somebody, I don't know, for some publication, and they didn't want it for some reason. And so mm. she approached me because we knew each other on Twitter. And she says, hey, man, Netflix asked me to do this thing. Um, will you publish it on IGN? I was like, hell yeah, we'll publish that on IGN. That's like that top draw stuff. Mm. And then um, her passport was too close to expiration and she couldn't get a visa. Mm. And then she was kind enough to like, like let me know all this, like these details. And she was like, is your passport up to date? Do you want to go? So I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I felt a bit bad because she missed out on that opportunity, mm. but it was kind of dope. And it's like, well, so now I got to go. And so I got flown to Milan to meet, to meet oh. this guy, to meet Daredevil, and uh, to meet the showrunner at the time. And it was like a great three-day trip that I mm. went on. And then Netflix is so dope. They also gave us a little bit of spending money as well for while we were there, it's like, so just so we could take care of ourselves. Mm. And um, so I was able to do like a tour of the city, and I got to meet Charlie Cox, and I got to talk about Daredevil and whatever. So that was very, very awesome. Um, but like in terms of like highlights, it's, it's difficult to say, like there's been so many. Right. Um, just in terms of getting to play video games before anybody else, that's mm. like, like always fun. Sometimes you get a, you get a review code for a game, and the game's only going to be releasing in two weeks. And then you need like, well, um, I kind of need to keep it secret that I'm playing this game, and so on, because people aren't mm. supposed to know that it's out yet and stuff like that. Um, I got to meet Morgan Freeman, um, <laughs> which sadly, Morgan Morgan Friedman is uh, an old man. 
in case you didn't know. And I had the misfortune of getting to meet. I was the last person to interview him. We were, I did those group interview things. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've maybe yeah. you've done them before, right? It's the worst way to interview anybody, but oh, whatever. I hate it. And we were, unfortunately, we were the very last group to see him. And I think he had started doing interviews at like seven or eight in the morning already. And so this was, he'd been at it for more than 12 hours. Sure. So we come into the room with a very last group and Morgan Friedman is hot for He's done. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like uh, I'm tired of talking about Invictus. Mandela was great. We all know this because this was when uh, Invictus came out. Mm. It's like, like you, you people are South Africans, you can probably tell me more about Mandela than I can. <laughs> and obviously, as everybody that was in that interview was kind of starstruck already because none mm. of us had met somebody of his caliber. So we were kind of asking these soft bullshit questions anyway. Um, how did you feel? You know, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, but he was tired. He was like, I'm, I'm over this. So I had also already been there like three hours just mm. like waiting for my turn. So I get a chance to ask a question and I ask him, I say, listen, um, your performance in that movie is like really, really good, right? There's no doubt about that. Um, do you ever worry that when people think about Nelson Mandela in the future, they're going to think about you in the same way that when people think about Mahatma Gandhi, they think about Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. They don't actually see the actual Mahatma Gandhi. And he's quiet for a bit and I'm like, oh yeah, I've like asked, I've I had my chance to talk to like a huge star. I've asked him a question that he's never heard before, something that he can really think about. And then he's quiet for a bit and he says to me, you know, his name wasn't Mahatma Gandhi. That was his title. His name is actually Mohindas. Quiet. And then they moved on to the next question. He didn't even answer. He didn't even answer my question at all. <laughs> and then all the other questions were kind of very super softball and whatever. And that I would have been like, "Do you know his name wasn't actually Nelson Mandela? It was Rory Clark." <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was like, I wasn't disrespecting Morgan Freeman. So that was like when it was done, and I went back to the office. I was working at a Leadership Magazine at the time. That was how we secured the interview. Uh, but anyway, I, I go back to the office and I'm like, I can't use anything of that interview at all because the mm. other people asked like nonsense questions. His replies were three, four sentences at most. So it was a complete waste of my time. And for a while, it was like, wow, Morgan Friedman sucks. I hate Morgan Friedman. And it's like, you know what? He was an old man. And like, mm. he was tired. He'd been doing this all day, answering the same questions or whatever. And yeah, whatever. Put your hands up and leave it at that. What else you can do? It's actually like the the best story ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm glad someone was entertained by it. But surely you think back now and you're like, like, and yeah, you're like no, look, uh, look. When I think I can tell that story now and laugh mm. about it. But you learn you learn fairly early on, right? That. When you're in a, in a job where you, where you get to meet high-powered people, mm. or people in the public eye, not necessarily celebrities per se, but people in the public eye, you, they div, you, know, you, you kind of feel like you already know them just because yeah. they're public figures or whatever, right? So then you, you always go into these meetings with some kind of um, preconceived notions about mm. who they are or whatever. And 
oftentimes they'll disabuse you of that of that perceptions pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, some people are exactly like their public images, and others are completely different. But then on the on the other on the other hand, it's like it also kind of humanized it. And mm. when I think about Morgan Friedman, I think about um, the Shawshank Redemption, mm. right? That that's where my brain was. That that was for me. That was the best movie ever made. Um, and if you think about his career and whatever, that man's made a lot of incredible movies, mm. right? Um, so you, you always see that. But then you meet him under these circumstances, whatever, and you realize he's just a guy. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, he's just a guy. Like, he's the only thing that really separates him from you and me and whatever is that he gets paid a lot more to do the things that he does. Um, as extraordinary of an actor as Morgan Friedman is, or any one of these people that, any one of these people that that have um, like great Hollywood careers or whatever, there are like a thousand other actors just as good, and they mm. just haven't been discovered or had the part or whatever. So that's really the only differentiating factor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you can laugh about it now, but like at the time it was like I was here for four hours, <laughs> I was so excited, and then like when you actually got to ask your question, it was like oh my god, that's such a dope question. <laughs> And then he's like, just, I don't even think, I think he just heard Gandhi. And he was like, shit, I need to say something about Gandhi. And then he threw that fact out. And I don't even know if that's true. Like what he said, I was, like, I was, too, no, too, ang- still too angry to check. One, is, this Karamachan Gandhi is his real name. Yeah, well, there you go. I did a, a project on him in like grade five. <laughs> and <He's> like, <laughs> I just still remember you were holding that knowledge until you heard the story. <laughs> it's like, she was like, when, when is... Oh, when is this when is this knowledge going to be useful, teacher? Don't worry, Miss Welby Solomons. One day you're going to do a Zoom call with a random guy, and that information is going to come in handy. There's no knowledge that isn't power. <laughs> okay, let's go back to games. Yes. So, what would you say is like the most exciting or like coolest games right now that people should be playing? The problem with like uh, I hate that question. I remember once having to do a, um, a bit on Cape Talk, actually, where some a newspaper in Australia published the list of like the 10 greatest games ever. Mm. And then because everybody at Cape Talk kind of like knew that was my thing, I did an on-air thing where we were like discussing those games and whatever. And it's, an, it's actually a very hard question to answer because games aren't just one thing, man. And they, mm. they, they differ from each other in some respects to such massive degrees. It's like, is this even the same thing somehow? But currently, for me personally, yeah, you know, for you personally, the game for me personally, <laughs> the game that I'm playing the most is a game called Apex Legends, mm-hmm. which actually came out last year. So technically, it's like a technically it should be an old game, but it's it's kind of in that it's um you've obviously heard of Fortnite, yeah, yeah, like like who doesn't who doesn't <laughs> know Fortnite? So Apex is kind of like Fortnite, but a little bit more grown up. So it's a bit more mature, and it's a it's a focuses a bit more like on on actual gameplay playability. Which isn't, I'm not disparaging for it, and it's a great game, it's just not for mm. me. So I play like a lot of Apex Legends whenever I can. When we're done here, I'm going to go and try and play Apex Legends <laughs> if I can. But the funny thing is, is that that's not usually the kind of game that I play. This is the thing that I was, someone was asking yesterday as well, what's the best game of the generation, right? Mm. Because all the new video game consoles, the new Xbox and new PlayStation is going to launch in November, right? That's mm. like around the corner. So someone asked the question, what, what, is the, what has been the best game of this generation, of the uh, PlayStation 4, uh, Xbox One generation. And I was like, there's been so many good games. Like, it's crazy how many top-tier games have come out in this generation. Just maddeningly good games. 
Breath of the Wild for Nintendo. Uh, what's this game called? Horizon Zero Dawn, The Last of Us 2, mm. um, Resident Evil 7. Just, just crazy how many good games came out. And I don't play online games, really. It's, it's never been my bag. I played a bit of Call of Duty when the first one came out. I got reasonably good at it, but it's, it's actually not my bag. And for whatever reason, this Apex Legends game has a hold on me. I'm terrible at the game. I'm like the worst. And I, I'm like the worst, worst at the game. Like, I get maybe, if I get one to two kills in a match, it's like I'm the, the happiest person. But I cannot stop playing this game. I love it so much. Mm. And the weird thing about it is, is that my youngest daughter is 11. She has no interest in games, really. Not, not really a game player. She plays Pokemon. She loves that. But I wouldn't go so far as to call her a gamer in general, right? But this child loves to watch me play this game so much. And I don't know if that may be part of it, why I enjoy playing it, right? But, you know, I don't always play it with her. But she loves to watch me play this game. So the thing like with Apex Legends is because it's an always online game um, and it's con- the game is continually evolving. They're always introducing new elements, new characters, mm. new techniques and whatever. So it's, it's never stagnant, right? So whenever a new character comes out, then like my youngest daughter, I says like, Daddy, they're going to like release a new character. I need to see the trailer about it. And she gets like invested in, in this very thin veneer of a story that's going on. And it's actually fascinating watching her take an interest in this game that she never plays. And she did try it, but it's like, on the one hand, I'm not so certain that I want her playing games online because like harassment mm. in online games is like a huge thing. Yeah. As a cisgender kind of white man, I'm probably safe and like immune to a lot of that stuff. But I like see it in the community and whatever. But it's, it's just fascinating how interested she is in it. And so I suppose that plays into, into like my desire to love this game. But I love it so much. And then another game that I played a lot of was the Ghost of Tsushima. Um, so it's like this fantastic samurai game, right? It's a bit flawed in its storytelling and whatever, but like the, you, know what, you know what the thing is? Like the best games do this. Nine times out of ten, if you're playing a video game, right, what you're really doing is you're escaping from what your actual reality is and you're playing a, you're playing a form of pretend, right? And the best games let you feel like you are actually doing something. So that's why like games like FIFA and uh, the sports games and so are so popular because they simulate that experience to a degree that you could you could never you could you could never be that good, right? So mm. like you always hear people say like, "You are my brochure, you think are you think just to pay one and a half thousand rand for FIFA? <laughs> like are you you ah you mad, right? But Oaks do it, right? So you can rather than just go buy a ball or kick a ball outside in the street. It's like yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I, can, I can kick a ball in the street, right? But there is no way that I'm going to be able to make a run from my goal, from my, like from a, a deflection from my goal, run all the way across an entire field, like past 11 other brasser, right? World class players. And then like Shibobo, the, 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 the goalie and score goal. It's not going to happen. But, like playing a game like FIFA lets me do that, right? Allows me to do that. Mm. And then like, look, it extends to, to everything else as well. It's like, like nobody's ever going to be able to, to like strap on body armor and then fight aliens that are attacking mm. from another dimension or whatever. But the best games let you feel like you've actually done that. It's like one of my favorite games of all time. Up to this, I will swear by this game. If like, if that's the only game I can ever play, I'll be fine to do that. 
is any one of the Batman Arkham series games. There was a series of games that came out like a while ago, like on the, on the, on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 time, mm-hmm. right? So that was maybe seven years ago, I think. The IGN review for that game, I remember, was done by a guy called Craig Miller, who like, worked with IGN at the time. And one of the things that he said about that game, and it was repeated by so many other journalists, is that the thing that makes that the best Batman game ever, and probably one of the best games ever made, is that that game makes you feel like you are Batman more than anything else. And when you play that game, it's like, like yeah, shit, I feel like Batman. It's like, I am doing Batman stuff. I'm knocking guys out like Batman. I'm detectiving like Batman. I'm sneaking around. Like, I'm doing all that stuff. And, and that's the, the thing that I love the most about video games is that it gives you an opportunity to experience something that you could in no other circumstance experience. Mm. And be that like mundane stuff. Like there's this beautiful game called Papers, Please. It's a smaller indie game. And the concept of the game is that you are like an immigration officer, right? Like I'd like, like, how's this for a video game? Like, when you think of video game, this is not what you think of. You play an immigration officer at the board of, like, a fictional country. Mm. And then your job is people come to you and say, I'm a refugee, I am asylum or whatever. And then you need to stamp their papers. Or they'll come in and say, yeah, we're just coming to the country to trade. I'm coming to visit my family and whatever. And it's your job to decide whether these people can come in and out of the country. And that doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> Like, who wants to simulate, like, a mundane office clerk job or whatever? But the guys that designed the game did it in such a way is that you'll get situations where someone will be there and they'll be like, uh, I'm running away from a civil war, right? This is, a, like, an example. I'm running away from a civil war. My family's been killed. I'm a refugee. I'm the only person here. I need asylum. If I can't come in, I'm going to be killed. Then you need to weigh that against the policies of your country, right? whether or not you should allow this person in. And also just the very idea of, well, if, if we do this, the paperwork is going to take so much hours. I want to go home to my family. Oh. Like, like those are the kind of considerations that come into play. And it's like, and I've never, you've like, where have you ever felt that? Like, has any other thing put you in the shoes? Like when you go to home affairs, right? <laughs> We've all been there, right? When you go to home affairs, you don't think of the person that's helping you as a human. Like, mm. Let's be honest. Let's just be blatantly honest. You don't think of you don't think of Natalie that's behind the counter <laughs> or no Mondo is behind the counter, whatever as a person. They are they are a freaking obstacle. <laughs> and you want your passport or you want your what you whatever documents it is that you need. You want your marriage certificate, whatever this person is an obstacle. And now you play this game and it kind of humanizes them. It's like, oh, you know what? This person is like, this person can also have a cut mood. This person maybe got, maybe they were in a car accident and now they got to pay for repairs that they don't have the money for because they don't mm. get paid liquor. Maybe this, they're having this trouble with the kid at school. They need to leave so that they can pick the kid up or whatever. And all these kind of things, actually, you start thinking about it. Like, hmm. And no other form of it has ever made me experience something like that. But then at the same time, you can have an experience like that but then I can also feel like an all-powerful God shaping a world. Because there's games like that as well, where you get to do that. Mm. And that's why I will like ride or die for video games, always. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, like going on and on, but like recently I played probably one of the most powerful games I've ever played was a game called The Last of Us. I don't know if you've, have you heard of it? I have heard of it. I've seen like pictures okay. and stuff. So HBO is actually adapting that story 
into a TV series will probably be like late 2021, maybe, maybe. Well, COVID, mm. you know, with COVID, who knows? But but they're busy doing it, right? So for years, they were talking about that's the most, like that's the video game story. And it was a nice tight circle and it was closed and it was like, this is not a story that needs a sequel. And then for whatever reason, the guy that created it, a guy called Neil Druckmann, he was like, you know what? I have an idea for a follow-up. And I was like, no, dude, just, just me, no. Because you know how you get like something that's really good and then they make a sequel and it's like, oh, why did you do that? So the sequel comes out and it's phenomenal. It's just, it's just a brilliant piece of storytelling. And it's one of those games where I played it once and I'll never play it again. Hmm. Not because it's, it's bad or whatever, because the story hit me so hard. I was like, I actually can't deal with this again. Seeing it once was enough. Uh, I don't want to go into like, too much details, but it, like, it, it talks about what life is like in a zombie apocalypse and how that brings all your emotions to the, your most base instincts need to come to the forefront in order to, to survive. But what does that mean? Like, what, what is the monster that you become? So it's like, okay, that's not a new story per se. Like zombie fiction kind of like deals with it all the time. We've all seen The Walking Dead. So it does kind of play into familiar tropes, but it tells the story in such an interesting way. It introduces characters to you that become super enduring. Uh, not just enduring, sorry. Um, yeah, that too, but endearing was the word I'm looking for. And then there's no spoilers because I think this is like pretty well known. There's a flip that happens in the middle of that story where they actually, you start taking control of the antagonist so initially you start the game and you're playing as um, this character named Ellie. And halfway through the game, you start playing as her antagonist, as the person that she's like, like her enemy, a, a sworn mm. enemy or whatever. And like, you, this is like, if you must play any game, you should play this game. Right? So I'm not going to spoil it for you too much. But before that point, you're like, man, fuck Abby. I hate her so much. Because that's like the bad guy. Right, it's like you, you just you you hate this woman because of whatever it is that she did. You just mm. you can't deal with her, and at flips you start playing as this character Abby. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, man, I don't know, man, Abby, Abby had it all. Like you, you, it plays with your emotions in that way. <laughs> and I finished that game. I think it was maybe three, four o'clock in the morning when I like finished it. I, co- I concluded the story and whatever. So something that was happening while I was playing this game as well is that um, in my house, I'm like really the only person that, that plays games to a serious level. My kids dabble a bit and whatever. Yeah. Uh, my wife only plays Diablo and that's the only game that she will play. Um, but, but nobody else would, I would consider nobody else in the house really games. Right? But they were all invested in the story of what is going on with, with Ellie and Abby and the world of The Last of Us. And initially I wasn't going to finish the game without them there, but I was so into the story. It's like, I needed to know. I needed to know. Mm. I needed to know. And I just kept playing and playing and playing until it was done. And then the next morning, I was like, guys, I like finished, I finished like the game and whatever. And they were like, oh, because I said, you want to see the ending? So I loaded up a save and we played, I played from a certain point up till the ending, like played the ending again. And they were like, all like, like shattered. <laughs> we, were like, we, were like, we were like all in pieces when the thing is done. It's like my wife actually said to me, that was better than any TV I've ever watched. Mm. And I'm kind of like, so for a medium that, that always gets relegated to, ah, it's for children. You mm. know, that's like a thing that, that happens. It's a, it's, a, it's a hill that I constantly need to climb as well, as like, as a person that works at a, a gaming site that I've had to climb for years, where 
you sometimes approach advertisers, you sometimes approach people for interviews and whatever, and you need to convince them of your bona fides that the thing that you are talking to them about is legit and it's not for children. It's mm-hmm. not, I mean, there are games for children, but as, a, as an entire medium, it's not just for children. That's like saying that books are just for children. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, really? All books? All books are just for children? Every single one of them? It's like, no. There are books that are for children, and then there are mm. books that are for different people, and games are exactly the same. And it's um, it's upsetting sometimes that people's you know minds immediately move to, uh, it's just all for kids and whatever. That, that story in The Last of Us 2 deals with things like revenge. There's uh, elements of transgender acceptance. There's, there's stories of like feeling like an outsider. There's like, how far will you go to get satisfaction for something that like maybe it's better, it's in your, be- in your best interest to actually leave it. It deals with same-sex relationships to a degree. Parenthood, uh, like, like how, do you, how, do you manage, how do you manage your children in, in times of crisis and stuff like that? That's not subjects uh, that necessarily for children and it deals with it in, like, in a very harsh way. So yeah, that's, that's like just mm. the bestest thing ever. So that's like basically like why I was like, I'm a ride or die for video games. I'm not saying everybody needs to play video games. You don't, right? Every medium has its appeal and some people enjoy some things more than others. But you need to acknowledge that this is a thing, right? You need to acknowledge that this is a thing that grown-ass people are involved in, that we care about, that we get invested in, in the same way that, like, <laughs> like one of the things about this podcast that you guys talk a lot about sometimes is reality TV. Right? No, I don't like it. Reality TV is not for me. As a genre, like there's some stuff that I do watch, right? Mm. But but just generally, in general, that's not my bag, right? But like I said, I'm not going to dis- dismiss the entirety of reality TV because I don't like most of it. But that's the thing that does happen with because People dismiss it in its entirety. It's like there's no value there at all. Also, like, I'm very sorry, then you are looking at the wrong things. Like there's an incredible amount of value. Mm. Um, and look, the, the best sign for that always is if something, if something is making money, number one, you need to pay attention. And then number two, if a, what's the word I'm looking for? If a critical mass of people are discussing these things in detail, then there must be, there must be something there. Like that many people can't be deluding themselves about the, mm-hmm. the moral or intellectual value of something. I mean, you can go on YouTube now and just do a search for the merits of the last of us two people are going to in-depth analysis about that story. And it's not just that game. It's like a whole bunch, like lots of games, it's critical analysis of all this mm. stuff beyond just as a consumer toy to play with, like to hang around with. Like there's like another, uh, it's, I hate the game. Uh, it's just me, but um, it's done really, really well. It's a game called Red Dead Redemption, which is like a cowboy. You've played Grand Theft Auto. You know about Grand Theft Auto, right? I know what oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> you know what it is. So when you're done with you, when we're done, we'll, I'll tell you about my, 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 my game. Joy speed it to that. My so like, games. So like, <laughs> Red Dead Redemption is like, um, on the surface of it, it's effectively Grand Theft Auto, but during cowboy times. So instead mm-hmm. of cars, there's horses, and it's a, uh, like a cowboy era thing, you six shooters, the whole shebang. So I hate the game because I just think there's like design parts of it that I don't agree with and it's, it's just incredibly boring for me but the story of that game is apparently phenomenal right it's just the characters it's so meaty and whatever and they are at the time that that came out there was like hundreds of videos of people just discussing the story mm. and you don't see that you don't see that kind of engagement for nonsense 
for little things. Like people really talking, it's like, what motivated, what motivated Arthur to do this thing or this character to do that? Why did he do that? That was so foolish and things like that. So there's like, there's, there's always merit in these things and you can't ignore that. But again, it's like I was saying earlier, it's like, there's no obligation. Like my yeah. point isn't that everybody should be playing. There's no obligation to, to play video games. There's no obligation to watch TV. There isn't, right? Um, I just don't like people to be dismissive of. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my thing. Like you don't have to be into it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. Right? But don't, don't look down on people mm. that find enjoyment of it. And it's like, um, like I've like always just been caught up in all this, like this geek stuff, right? So like comic books and mm. Star Wars and all of this other kind of stuff. And I'm like 40 now. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of typical in that respect. There's like so many people that are my age and older that are huge Star Wars nerds mm. and stuff, right? And people are still like, Nah, that's for goodness. It's not clean or whatever. It's like, mm. like it really isn't. It's yeah. like, yes, it's the primary. The, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not denying it, right? The primary Star Wars was designed for children, and it's targeted at children. That's a fact, right? You can ask George Lucas yourself; he'll tell you. And I don't have an issue with that. But you know what's also directed at children, and there's a lot of adult fans. Harry Potter. Mm. That you you think that became a phenomenon just because kids liked it? Like, yeah, that out. But a lot of adults yeah. also still into it, grew up with it. Whenever mm. we won't get into <laughs> get into into J.K. Rowling's misdeeds, but like the story is like solid. You know what else is directed at children as all these adult parents? My Little Pony. I love My Little Pony. Like that's like the best thing ever. I'll watch that all day, every day. It's not made for me. Uh, Same thing like with the show like um, what's a cheer on the Princess of Power, uh, right? That show is fantastic. Probably one of the best TV shows, uh, easily one of the best TV shows of the last three years, right? I'm like I said, I'm 41. It's not, it's not for me. No, nobody uh, wrote that thinking. Mm, <laughs> the middle-aged guy in South Africa was gonna love this. <laughs> right? it's like, oh, oh boy, those those middle-aged men, they can't wait for Sheena. But I was like legit, legit, legit excited mm. when Sheeta was announced on Netflix. Like, I don't know, maybe like, this is like maybe a weird thing about me, right? But I don't think it should be weird. Is that like, I love a female protagonist. Mm. Like the, the second, if, if a show is, um, comes out, has been announced or whatever, and the lead character is a lady, I'm there for that. I need to see mm. it. Right? I'll check it out. Right. And then I'll look and if it's good, I'll carry on whatever. But. So just that, that will immediately get my attention. And I used to obviously like have, uh, like I was there for the, like the 1980s craze for He-Man and Masters of the Universe mm. or whatever. So I had my He-Man, uh, yeah, like three He-Mans and other action figures or whatever. I was very lucky uh, that like my parents like would get me all those stuff and whatever. But I can probably tell you, I probably watched more of those OG Shira cartoons than He-Man, right? Just because just the idea of it just worked for me. And so when they announced like this new one, I was like, I'm so here for this. And then I was kind of put off because I didn't like, so there was like salt controversy when that show was announced where people were like, like, so current Cheetah looks, the art style is very different from like the OG show, right? And even like her outfit is a bit more demure, right? In terms of what it looks like. So like OG Cheetah used to wear like a strapless dress. Uh, yeah, strapless dress with like a very short hemline, right? Mm. Came to like a mid or whatever. She had like super long blonde hair. So like the new one is like more covered up. There's like no cleavage going on. And she mm. has like a, like a cycling shorts type beat going on and whatever. 
And so everyone's like, oh no, this isn't Shira, because they obviously needed that they for whatever reason they needed this character to be more sexualized or whatever. As if there isn't enough of that. Mm. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, I'm really disappointed because like Shira is a product of the 80s, but did they really have to add shoulder pads? Was that like was that like was that something that that we like we, we, nobody was asking for that? And, and that was my, my biggest bone of contention is that this this shoulder pads or whatever. And it took me a really long time to get past that. And the other thing that also really pissed me off was that um, you can ask like like you can ask my kids right up till today I will randomly just start singing like the music from or humming the music from like shows that I used to watch when I was a kid, right? Mm. And like the music from Shira, from the original Shira, when she would transform, that's that's my jam. And I was like, oh yeah, like when this new show comes out, they're going to have like this new, they're going to like update that song. It's going to be so dope and whatever. <laughs> and then the music isn't even remotely similar. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't watch this. This is the worst. Because like, I don't even, I don't even like remember that. Did you ever see OG Shira? No, no. Okay. I was sorry, man. Sorry for 80s. you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for you, but the music used to go like, it's like this trumpet playing with even she like has a thing that she says when she transforms, right? And so the new song is like, how does it go? It's like, something like that, right? And it's fine, but it's like, this is not epic. It's like when that first song, like, oh. Oh snap, she is about to show up and shit is about to get real. And the new one is like, oh, like a reasonably good looking lady is going to turn into a slightly more reasonably good looking lady kind of thing, but with sword. Right? I never ever like got that vibe. It's like, oh, the Kodak and his brass are going to cock now. Right? But I mean, that's just me. I'm like the same guy that I'm like disappointed. There's a new DuckTales like series yeah. as well, right? And they got. Uh, I want to say it's Carly Rae Jepsen, but maybe it's just a Carly Rae Jepsen sound alike. Okay. Maybe it's not actually. Her, I feel like right? so I, she, I know this, but okay, I didn't do a grade five project she, she, on it. So. Like on that, like on that tales. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like your school was way more fun than mine. Um, but they do uh, um, the Dactyl song is iconic. Right? Mm. It's like like super iconic, and I was yeah. like super huge into Dactyls. Used to come on every Sunday, five o'clock, Mnet open time. My current my current and only wife, right? she phoned me once. We were still in high school. High school, mind you. Phoned me once on a Sunday, like on a landline. You know, this, was, this was BC before cell phones. So she phones me and that tells us on. And she obviously checked, wants to just chat because that's what we would do in the, in, the, in the 90s. And I'm like, hello. And I'm very like caught up from whatever. And she's like, like, are you doing something? I'm like, that tells us on. And she's like, okay. <laughs> she puts the phone down. And she's so still married to you. Kind of, so. <laughs> tells me what kind of hero this woman is. She still married me. So um, I'm like deep into that song, right? It's like the, the original OG Dactyl song is like the ball. And so the new series, smartly, they were like, you know what? Song's iconic. We're going we're gonna to keep that song, right? Hmm. So they have, like I said, I think I need to like Google it or whatever, but I think Carly Rae Jepsen sings it. So the song is like there, whatever. And you've heard the song, right? I don't think I've heard the like, new one. Is, like, I don't know, I'm singing a bit too much <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's fine. Like, life, life is like a hurricane mm. here in Duckburg. Yes. It goes on and on. And then it goes like, DuckTales, 
And then I'm like jamming. I was like, oh yeah, this new song. I'm jamming. I was like, I'm loving. I'm loving the new Dactyl song. It's like cool. It's like they were like, yeah, Kriba, we're keeping the song. And then she gets to the woos and she's just like, Dactyls, woo, like, it's like what? where's the energy? It's like, where's the energy? It's like, nah, man, this is somebody else's Dactyls. This ain't my Dactyls. Like, no, I can't watch this anymore. I'm like that. I'm like that pity. <laughs> I did watch it eventually because the show is like really good. But like that song is just it's just not what it's supposed to be. It's like, guys, come on. We like had every opportunity. Every opportunity. Like she was singing it so well. There's clearly a producer on the mm. other side of the glass when this artist is singing the song. Just tell it to give just a, just a little bit more energy on the woos. That's, that's the part. That's the bit we wait for. No, 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 no. I'm like, I'm sorry. You like, I don't know. You messed, you done messed up. You goofed, and you're gonna have to try and fix that somehow. Maybe in season, maybe in season two, they'll really record, they'll really record the song somehow. But I actually listen, want to watch I it. Cocktails. Oh, Cocktails. Uh. Yeah, you should, you should totally watch it. You'll like it. Like you know, Disney does bad stuff as well and whatever. Like, but. And they, they, they kind of like, for the most part, have a handle on just taking stuff that we've done before and mm. using it up a bit and, and representing it to us. I mean, not so much with like the live action output mm. now, which kind of reminds me, I don't know if I'm like segue on your behalf. But no, like, it's fine. Have you seen Mulan? Yes. Have you seen Mulan? I watched it last night. And um, what, did, what did you think? You know, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to like it. I really, really wanted to like it. Like... I, um, oh my god! I, I don't know if you listen to the podcast um, Myths and Legends. I I have, but I but I haven't I haven't listened to the one about, about the folklore story of Mulan. So I, I know it, yeah. So like that in the episode of of, of Myths and Legends, when they talk about they talk about how different the original story is to the Disney one because this is an old episode. It's like from twenty sixteen or something like that. They talk about Mulan, and then my thing was that okay, if they're gonna create a one that's more like the Chinese legend, which you know honors the Chinese people, I might yeah. enjoy it more. But it doesn't do that. Number one, <laughs> number two, it's I was very underwhelmed. I yeah, just, it's like. Hmm, expect it more. I look. I I I have like my personal. Um, someone did a YouTube video a while ago about their rating system for movies, right? Hmm. And they called it GBF, Good, Bad, Fine, right? Hmm. And I watched that video and I was like, that's my rating system from now onwards as well. I'm rating everything in my head canon as GBF, hmm. right? And the new Mulan remake falls squarely in F. It's yeah. fine, right? It's fine, but it's also like it's also D. It's disappointing because there was. It was like an opportunity to do something, yeah, something amazing. And I won't lie, like so, like the the original Mulan. That's my favorite of the Disney movies. Mm. I of that Renaissance from um, Little Mermaid up until whatever. I'm not sure what movie you would say ended that that mm. year, but like Tarzan, uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, blah blah. blah. I love mm. those are like my movies, right? But of that, that's my one Mulan. That's that's my one. And again, it like comes back to what I was saying earlier: female protagonist in uh, whatever, right? Yeah. And I was more excited for that movie than anything else. And the funny thing is, is that before COVID hit, I'd actually arranged with Disney mm. to be able to take my whole family to watch that movie before its release. Yeah. And they were like, no, it's cool. They don't usually let you do that, but mm. every now and then, like if it's, if it's a, um, a, a, they'll be like, yeah, okay, 
this is going to affect kids like then they'll let you take yeah. your family with you to to the pre- previous screenings right it's uncommon but but sometimes you get lucky mm. and then of course the, the screening was delayed because of covid and i was so disappointed and so and it was still my birthday as well i think it would have been on my birthday and so I've really been looking forward to watching this movie. And, and I suppose that's part of the issue. I have something up to match in your mind, you know, things like this happen. So I watched the movie and I was like, it's fine. It's, like, mm. it's fine. I kind of see what they were going for with this whole um, concept of her chi, right? That she yeah. has. Like, it's basically, she's a Jedi now. Yeah. But and, and that was fine. I was like, she's like straight up magic now. She's like, got this spoiler alert. Sorry if I ruined that for anybody. Um, and I was like, I get, I get what this is about, right? So, like, the first movie, kind of, was this whole idea of um, someone who is young and scrappy, put into an impossible situation, and they have to think their way out of it. And because their life experience is so different, they are like approaching these problems in a different way, mm. right? She's not a man. She's not actually. She's not. She's not a, a, a soldier in that capacity. So the way Mulan dealt with the issues in that, in that animated film came like from that perspective. So with the new one, I think what, what they were trying to do was, and I think it's a, it's a, good, was a good approach, was that here is someone that is incredibly capable. Mm. She is really capable, so much so that she's actually better at all of the stuff than many people around her. And society is telling her she needs to hide that because it's not feminine. Mm. And um, like, look, I'm, uh, I, I, I have like four daughters um, uh, and like I'm married to like, like the bestest woman ever who doesn't get upset because I didn't want to talk to because I'd rather watch DuckTales. <laughs> so uh, like, I'm like into like, like uh, gender equality and things like that. Mm. So I like, and, like my wife, I like always def- like defer to my wife about these things. And she's like, look, that's actually a good, that's a good pathway to build a story on. Because I'm sure there are many women um, who are good at what they do, incredibly good at what mm. they do, possibly even better than anybody else in the place. But they are not allowed to, to show their, their skill. Or they show their skill, but they don't get credit for it. Um, I would imagine that's something that you've experienced um, I would imagine that any woman, anywhere that's mm. done anything, has <laughs> probably experienced that in some capacity or another. So I was like, okay, cool, man. If you're going to update Mulan, that's actually not a bad basis. Like a lot of people take issue with that particular aspect of the story of the whole, yeah, she's straight up magic now. She's not a scrappy underdog. She's not really going to struggle. It's like, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point of that character arc that I saw. Mm. Like, she actually can do this shit, but everybody keeps telling her, you are not allowed to be good at this cuck because you're a woman. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that was the thing that saved everybody. Mm. Right? And then the emperor of all of China is like, damn girl, we should have let you do this from the beginning. And so you're honest. So that's like a, that the basis of that story arc worked for me. Yeah. But just the decisions that they took to get to that point, it was like, no, no, why? <laughs> no. Like, mm. And then, and then, you know, when a movie dissatisfies you on that degree, I'm like that. I'm, I think most people are. When they're unhappy with something, then they start nitpicking at all other kinds of tiny yeah. stuff that, that you would have overlooked in a better film. Like why when, um, okay, spoiler alert, but I mean, yeah. I'm sure people have seen the original movie and it's Yeah, look, similar. it's not that different from the uh, original. Yeah. But like when it is revealed that she's a woman, she doesn't wear armor to fight anymore. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, but I get. I even get she's that magical, as well. but her hair is down. Yeah. You still need to have your hair up when you fight. <laughs> you still. Yeah, look, <laughs> it's one of those things, right? So there's like there's like certain movie tropes that you just kind of like need to. You just need to accept. Right? No, like, I don't so. think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, okay, I don't okay, even okay, wonder yeah, woman wore armor. Like, <laughs> like the thing, the thing that I got from that was it's like, uh, like with the hair being loose, I was like, she could have, she could have tied it up in a different. Look, the, the, I think the idea there was was that she lets her hair down so that it's obvious that she's a woman. Right? Yeah. Probably that's that's the thinking. So uh, look, I, I'm not a woman, so I don't know. Like, uh, I, I'll. I'll defer to your opinion, but I also pretty like I like it when I watch something and then people make practical decisions that they would have made in the real world. Like mm. if you're gonna go fighting, tie up your hair, right? Okay, fine. I can overlook that because it's not gonna lie. It looks dope when she's kicking ass and she flips her hair. It looks, it looks, it looks performed. Let's just be honest, right? But I think the thing, the thing with the armor is was like that was kind of like maybe like a visual metaphor for like stripping ourselves of the trapping mm. of. Means well, probably. Yes, but she could right? put the armor back on. <laughs> she could put it back on. I don't understand. And she, yeah, but I think she had that. She had that. Because um, she had like a red, like she was wearing mm. like a red dress thing, right? Yeah. And then I think around the waist, if I'm not mistaken, I might have to watch it again. I'm like 90% sure she had like a skirt armor type thing around her waist. Oh, okay, maybe, I'm like 90% yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, like, I get what you're saying. I, I do get what you're saying. Uh, it's not as big a deal to me, but yeah, I get it. The thing that bothered me more was like, you'll remember in the original movie when they fight with the Mongols, she fires the, um, what's it called? Like the firecracker thing. And then it goes into the mountain and then that creates the avalanche that wipes out the Mongols, right? Mm. Right? So like in this one, they obviously, they, they, they do that same thing, but then they say, no, she, um, she, con- she, uh, Gets the Mongols to fire one of the catapults into the into the mountains to, to drop the snow. And it's like that scene makes no sense because just on a logistical level, what happens is is that the catapults is firing at her friends, right? So she comes up behind them and starts shooting arrows at them. Then they turn that whole ass catapult around to shoot back at her, right? And she makes it seem as if there's more of the, that's not just that because she like puts helmets on, on the rocks so mm. that it looks like there's a lot of people. But it's like, she's so close to them. Why are you shooting catapults? <laughs> like, at that distance, like, who is doing that? And then, like, it's clear because they're like firing arrows at them because they see the helmets, right? So they mm. have an idea of where her position is, right? And then the brass just like, nah, man, we're going to kill this goose or the catapult. So we're going to turn this whole thing around. And I, okay, like, okay, that's extreme. But then they don't even shoot it anywhere near her because she's not even near the snow line. So they overshoot the, the catapult like miles past and it hits the mountain behind and now the snow falls. And mm. so that's like, okay, that's dumb. But then what's worse is, is that she's like, she's closer to the snow that's falling than the bad guy she's trying to defeat. And like they're like, ah, oh, don't move, stand here, wait for the snow to kill us. It's like, no, guys, no, what are you doing? But like I said, it's fine. The movie's fine. Mm. It's fine. The I really think that also kind of disappoints. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say I really like the coloring, though. It was so beautiful, even during the battle sequences. It was just so nice to be able yeah. to see everything, and everything looks lit and like beautiful. Yeah, it's, really it's shot really well. Uh. It's like. 
they like really took advantage of the um what, what, what's the word i'm looking for the uh, location mm. yeah they really took advantage of the location that was the place is beautiful those mm. um i was actually sitting my wife in they live like in those huge round like in the beginning of the movie and i was like yeah. oh okay so like so Mulan is actually from the flats because oh yes because <laughs> they're all in that, that same like, <laughs> courtyard it's like oh okay now nah, i can relate to this like Mulan is from the flats like from people it's dope that's great they make them around but it's the same thing right? so they like discover the flats before us yeah obviously some chinese people do everything first um but like yeah it's like just really really beautifully shot but hmm. yeah but like you said it's like there's such a good opportunity and then yeah. you know that's what happened but uh, i wouldn't like in one respect i'm kind of glad like sakarbal things i'm kind of glad like covid happened and i didn't watch it in the cinema because mm. if i had to like pay for that movie i would have been more upset <laughs> like, that's 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 like always my thing when i'll say i'll watch a movie then i'll say like, do i feel bad that i spent mm. 8200 and 120 for that experience and if that happens and i can say nah i don't feel mad that I, i don't feel like i lost my money it was like mm. then it was an okay movie it was worth it maybe not the best movie but i don't feel like i wasted my money but i i suspect maybe if i had paid to watch mulan i would have been disappointed movies are expensive so you really need to like yeah yeah like you spend 120 rand on a movie you like really need to think about that investment i um but how weird is it seeing okay i haven't seen him in a movie in a while but seeing jet li so old yeah man jet Well, look, I think part of it was maybe makeup. Part of uh, it was probably makeup. But I, I think I remember reading somewhere that Jet Li, uh, like he's been ill. Oh, okay. I I'm, not sure if it's, I'm not sure if it's true. That's why we haven't seen him in a while. Mm-hmm. I think the last movie he made was like one of the expendable movies. Oh, yes, yes. And just disappeared. And I think, I think I have this vague memory of reading somewhere that he's been ill. Because when I saw that, like, I was like, I know this character. Is this Chow Yun-fat? This is, this is a character I've seen before. I'm not character, the actor. And then, and then look, and then I obviously looked at the IMDb and I'm like, Jet Li, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like a bit of a thankless role, but I mean. I wish look, we also got to see more of, of that backstory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like there was like opportunities there to like really flesh that story out. And it's mm. like, you do sometimes. Well, the witch. Yeah, Gong Li is amazing. I like. I love Gong Li. Yeah, she's but I feel like best. we just needed more from. You know what I mean? I need more context. Yeah, she's probably the most interesting character in yeah. the film. Yeah. Mm. But I, there's this thing that happens, like in in any uh, like film that sometimes deals with magic or powers or people can do some like extra normal shit or whatever. Um, I'm sure there's like there's a word for it, like on TVTropes.com. I'm sure they have a, mm. a page for this phenomenon that I'm going to describe. But it's a situation where you get someone that's like very powerful, and then because of reasons of plot, they still look not powerful anymore. So like when you first see that character, she is like just kicking guys' ass left, right, and center. She can transform into animals and stuff, and she's like just super dope, right? Mm. And then she like does two things in the movie where you like. Huh? But why? <laughs> right? So the first one is is that like the whole plan? Uh, we're like going full spoilers now, so I guess <laughs> <laughs> like the whole plan of the bad guys is to assassinate the emperor, right? Mm. But at some point in the film, she infiltrates the emperor's palace. She's within striking distance of him, right? And like you could have just killed him there. Like who's going to stop you? <laughs> right? Like you like. You're this far away from the emperor. You're pretending to be his grand vizier, dude, or whatever the case may be, right? You're close to him. Like, use your your 
your Jedi mind trick powers or whatever, and then kill the Emperor, and then it's done. So she just, like, she's there, then she leaves. So she doesn't, she doesn't kill the dude. And in the end of the movie, super spoilers, um, she sacrifices herself to save Mulan. And it's like the way that happens is also like, I'm sure there was a thousand ways you could have caught that arrow and love. <laughs> like, given, given everything else that I've seen you do in mm. this film, I think that you could have, like, bad guy shoots an arrow at Mulan. And, and over and above that, I'm like 90% sure Mulan could have caught that arrow herself. It was like a useless sacrifice. The suicide, effectively. Yeah, she could have. But, but also, one of you could have made, like, a shield-type vibe, you know, like... <laughs> so so many ways I don't know it's like I might you know honestly the more I'm talking to you about this movie I might change my rating from the fine to bad I really like the first part mistake. of the movie though if I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest like like Mulan's transition and a decision to go into war and like when she starts out training and stuff I really like that mm. and you show, mm. they show how she grows but once it be, once it, the, like the war part actually begins I was like, it's almost like, I was like, oh, yes, I'm enjoying it. And then it just, like, drops. Like, I just mm-hmm. did not feel it after that. And <laughs> I, I just, like, almost lost interest. I think maybe, maybe part of that is that the action sequences themselves aren't, aren't the most well choreographed. Which mm. is, like, also, like, weird because you've got, like, like you said, you've got Jet Li in the movie. Yeah. Right? Jason Scott Lee in the movie. <laughs> I don't think he does anything. He <laughs> catches one ad or some shit. You can, but he's the emperor, you know, yeah. he's whatever. <laughs> Right? Um, you got Jason Scott Lee in there who's like um, doesn't get enough credit for his acting ability. I don't know if you remember him from Dragon the Bruce Lee story. It's I did not watch it. Biopic. Yeah. It's an old biopic. It's actually mm. Jason Scott Lee, the guy that plays Bori Khan. Mm. Um, he's, he's, I don't think, I don't know if it was his debut movie, but the movie that gave him his fame was mm. Dragon the Bruce Lee story, which is like just this biopic about Bruce Lee's life and, and whatever. It's, it's way better than people give him credit for. Anyway. He's also a really competent martial artist. And then you got like Donnie, Donnie Yen, yeah, who is yeah. like, like he, he is, he's the Jet Li of his generation, basically. Mm. Like that man is like probably the greatest on, on camera uh, martial artist currently working, right? In, in Asian cinema, Barnan. Mm. I mean, he is phenomenal. And he's also multidisciplinary. Like he's, he's not just good at Kung Fu. Right? He's really good at jiu-jitsu and wrestling and normal boxing and whatever. And, he, and, on, and then over and above that, he's a, re, a very competent... I wouldn't, I'm not, nobody's going to give Don, Donnie Yen an Oscar, right? <laughs> I'll be honest. But he's a very good actor. Mm. You've got these guys in the phone. You are in China. I am a guys. Yeah. But you not think that maybe what they should yeah, have done... Yeah. I think that was about... It. Yeah, I was saying, do you not think maybe what they should have done is hired a Kung Fu director or someone who has experience in Kung Fu? Because while Nikki wow, Kato was good, I mean, I think she's very good at making these kind of like slow drama type movies. Yeah. Um, Look, I don't... I'm not familiar with... The, like, have I seen anything that she's directed? Have you watched Well Rider? Um, it's like one of those movies I should watch, but I kind of haven't. It is quite, it's a really good movie. But she's also, she's from New Zealand. I think she's part like yeah. Maori. So she, yeah. she, that's, it's part of like, it's her story. Not yeah, her story, yeah. but a story of a culture that she knows. Whereas I okay. think that if they had taken a, maybe a Chinese 
director or director of Chinese descent or from or, or from an Asian country that is that knows the culture? Well, well, like that's kind of like one of the controversies surrounding that film, isn't it? Is that the uh, okay? Yeah, the entire cast is obviously Chinese. I don't know how they were going to insert a white guy in there, but you never know. But the entire cast is Chinese, right? But the production staff is like not like I. Um, so like Nikki Caro is the is the director, right? Mm-hmm. She's a. Um, you say I I wasn't aware that she had Maori um, ancestry or whatever, but but she's not Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing staff not Chinese. Mm-hmm. The uh, costume designers not Chinese. So like, yeah, man, it's like you always talk about yeah we we knew we need to see people of color and uh, proper representation um, on mm-hmm. screen. But you also kind of have to, you, you need, I would actually think it's more important to have that like behind the camera. Because yeah. when you have it behind the camera, you automatically see it in front of the camera kind mm. of thing. So yeah, look, I think I think that's true. Maybe a, a person of, um, of Asian descent would have probably done better. But I don't think that uh, a working Chinese director was necessarily the best choice because Chinese cinema... Is very like every every country has like a way of how they make a, a film, mm. right? And I'm like I've watched a lot of a lot of Asian movies, and they they'll do flashbacks inside a flashback, <laughs> you know, like yeah. stuff like that. They've got like weird nuances that that would throw us off because we expect the film to move in a certain way. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. Was she the right person for the job? I suppose it ultimately it doesn't matter at this point. Mm. You know, the movies there. Have you seen the farewell? Oh yes, with um, Okafina. what is the name? Uh, Okafina. Uh, Aquafina. Yeah. Yes, I love that movie. Yeah. And then of course, like the uh, Ziba the is uh, her father, and he's also a Mulan yeah. student, whatever. Um, I really like. I enjoyed that movie very well. Um, and then he, he says, there's another movie of his, which is kind of similar, um, called Tiger Tail. Have you seen that? On I've on not, Netflix? but I was listening. I listened to an interview with the director or the writer. Which I also found yeah. quite interesting, and I actually do want to see it. Yeah. So though I, that's a, that's a good that's a good movie. It's a bit slow in the beginning, um, mm. and uh, I'll be honest, the actress that plays his daughter in that movie, I've seen her in other stuff, and she was way better. Mm. I think she. I don't know what she was. Uh, like her character is just a bit something about this, just like a bit one note. But that's an excellent movie. But yeah, I've, I have seen the full well. Mm. Um, you, who's the director of the film? Lulu Wang. You know, Lulu Wang. Do you think that that she would have made a better Mulan? I don't know, because I mean, obviously, I don't know how she makes action movies. Yeah. Although, like, I mean, look, Chloe Zhao was <clears throat> doing the Eternals, and she's made a lot of soft, you know, movies, be- like yeah. dramas before. But I mean, like, yeah. so I mean, I feel like you know, if you give the director probably a good action coordinator, you know, stunt coordinator yeah. and that kind yeah. of stuff, you can probably make it choreographer. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like I, maybe someone with like Chinese descent could have made, a, I feel like, made a better movie. I think, like, you, that's the other thing when you also don't want to fall into the trap of, oh, well, um, uh, it's a movie about X race of people, ergo. X race person must direct it. Um, that's not necessarily true. I mean, it, it helps. You should. That's a sticky subject. I mean, it's like sometimes it's like it's the kind of subject you don't actually want to like approach with a 50 foot pole. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> that's kind of my, but, my forte, but, 50 foot pole topics. <laughs> the reason why I say I think that Mulan should have been directed 
by a person um, of Chinese descent is because I think it's a subject matter of the story. If it was just a small story about a family in China that's and that was directed by a mm. non-Chinese person, mm. that's fine. But because this is a story based on a Chinese legend and so seeped in Chinese folklore and Chinese, because Qi is part of Chinese folklore and th- part mm. of their culture. And so seeped in Chinese mm. culture, that's why I think it should be made by a person of Chinese descent because they probably understand it and know it better. Um, I think you, you like, you're making a very good point. Yeah. I'm going to have to like... Um, I'm mean, going to have to go with you on that one. I think this, this specific movie in this specific time, this specific context, mm. just probably best to have, a, to have a person that's leading the thing be Chinese. You're yeah. right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you're saying that, I, I just like kind of my favorite Renaissance Disney was Beauty and the Beast. And I was so disappointed mm. by the remake because I was like, I don't want to see the same movie. And that was mm. my point. Like, I don't want to see the same movie. And I really yes. love the remake of Cinderella. I'm like, this is a new spin on it. It's exciting. Like, everything was, like, delicious and campy. And it just it just was different. And mm. I prefer, mm. like... I didn't see that one, though. Uh, I, I enjoyed that one. I think I went to go watch it twice. I know a lot of people, like, aren't as big of a fan of it as I am. But I loved it. <laughs> So, like, I mean, like, to my mind, the thing that kicked off this whole live action beat is like Maleficent, right? Mm. For me, I, I Which think is that's, also really I think good. That, that, that's fair to say. The sequel, not so, I don't think that movie needed a sequel, but you know, whatever. I haven't seen the sequel. Um, but that movie is like, it's, fine. it's not it's on the GBF scale, it's, it's B, it's bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's actually bad. Um, I don't know how you make a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer and Angelina Jolie, and it turns out bad, but you know, what do I know? Mm. So, like, Maleficent is, like, a dope movie. It's, like, mm. a really dope movie. And the thing that I loved about it the most was, was that it took what was familiar, right, and flipped it on its head. It gave mm. us a new, a new angle on something that, that we're so familiar with. Right? Yeah. And when they started announcing all these live-action remakes, I was like, okay, cool. Like, if, if they... I wasn't expecting all of these movies to suddenly be told from the villain's perspective. Mm. Like, I wasn't like, oh, The Lion King is going to be about Scar as the central... Like, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. But I did think, like, oh, like, this is clever. This is a way to, in some respects, like, correct mistakes that they'd made the first time, yeah. like, just, like, in terms of representation and stuff like that. Mm. But also just a new opportunity to retell the story. And when Maleficent came out, I was like, this is amazing. Mm. It just gave us this whole new perspective. And then instead you have like Beauty and the Beast, which is like a shot for shot remake and one extra song. Mm. And then... Um, That's for the Oscar. That's the, uh, the Lion for the King, Oscar. which I... <laughs> like, and then like the Lion King was there, which is apparently literally a, a shot for shot remake. And apparently a worse movie. I, I haven't seen it and I don't, I don't intend to because I was like, well, I've seen this movie. Mm. You know, everything I've read about it tells me it's the same film, just with CGI yeah. instead of whatever. It's exactly what it is. And uh, you've seen it, eh? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. It's, yeah, it's yeah exactly you, you don't look impressed. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it as much as so many people. I think it's also like The Lion King isn't as um, precious to me as a lot of other people. Mm. But um, I'm more of a 101 Dalmatians kind of girl. But like, mm. I... Um, but for me, it was like, it was fine. Like, literally, like yeah. I enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it knowing that I was watching the same movie again. It's like, I felt okay. like I was watching, like, you know, if you like a movie and you rewatch it, that's, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'm with you. Yeah, I didn't that, hate yeah, it, yeah, but I, it was alright. Look, I, I'm, I don't like. Look, me. I'm not. I'm not gonna say like if it if it if it appears on one of the streaming services and it's there, I'm, I might watch it. Mm. But I'm, I, I doubt very much. I'm gonna like seek it out. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But but that movie seems to be like like Lion King in particular seems to be emblematic of the problem with all of these live action remakes is that mm. in a way, right? You promised us something with Maleficent, mm. right? That movie, you made a promise to us. We're gonna do this. And it's going to be like this. It's going to be this new way, this new angle on this familiar story. And I, that, that was the promise of Maleficent. And so far, the only movie that's really delivered on that, aside from Maleficent itself, is Mulan, which, like we've discussed uh, ad nauseum, yeah. didn't really go the way we wanted to, whatever. But, but you can at least see they were trying a different angle. Yeah. Um, Cinderella... Like you were talking about Cinderella earlier, like you like that one. So I've I've seen bits of it. I haven't actually mm. seen the whole movie. I love Lily James, mm. but She's I didn't so. really get the sense that this was a was a new angle and a different story. But maybe I should give it another chance. It's not. It's actually more um, like it's just a bit more fleshed out, and there's um, just the characters are like I mean, a Kate Blanchett, but it's a stepmother. <laughs> it's like there's like it's funnier. There's yeah, there's just a bit, bit more okay, backstory. I'm, I'm Michael, Hayley Atwell plays Princess um, Cinderella's mother. Like, but hang on, sorry, but just pause there quickly. Hmm? Is Hayley Atwell in that movie? Yeah, she's Cinderella's mother. I did not know that. Please no, tell me, do you like Hayley Atwell? I love Hayley Atwell. She's I love, like my favorite I love human Hayley ever. Atwell. Like, if I could meet anybody, like it would be Hayley Atwell. I do not. I, I so like everybody has an Instagram, right? Yeah. I follow. <laughs> I follow three celebrities. It's only yeah. three, like I follow like my friends and then like a few <laughs> niche accounts and whatever. I follow three celebrities on Instagram. I follow Kevin Smith because I listen to his podcast and I've just mm-hmm. always been into his films as wackadoodle as they are. I follow Leslie Ann Brandt because loyalty. Yeah, right? loyalty always. Uh-huh. Loyalty, right? And she's just oh, she's just fucking brilliant. Right? Uh-huh. She's she's just like she's my she's favorite girl. interview. I think. Oh, no, I feel bad. I haven't even had a chance. I would so love to interview Leslie Ann But she's like, she's she's dope, right? I yeah. follow her and I follow Hayley Atwell. Because I just, I'm like so in love with Hayley Atwell. Me too. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> have you seen, oh my God, have you seen Howard's End? I have not. I want to watch Girl, <laughs> Kanala. No? When we're done here, you need to go to Showmax. And you need to watch how it's in. It's on Showmax. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. It's on Showmax. You need to watch how it's in. It's the best. I I, like, so it's funny, right? So my family has this, uh, we all like what we like, Mm. right? So like, I'm obviously into like, I'm into this kind of stuff and this person's into that kind of stuff. So we also, there's very few things that all six of us will watch Mm. together, right? But somehow we all have a thing for period pieces. Right? Oh my so gosh, it sounds like a dream. Us, it's, it's, it's like, it's weird, right? So like all six of us will watch Little Women. We love that movie. I think we've watched it twice or more, right? We watched um, like the entirety of Downton Abbey. Oh, love right? that. And so. we were like just ridiculously invested in Downton mm-hmm. Abbey, right? Like my, so like you've seen Downton Abbey, right? So my yes. wife and I saw it when it came out originally. And then when, um, what is the youngest daughter's name now? Um, the youngest thank you <laughs> my daughter's over there just like civil uh, so like when lady like they love lady civil like lady civil me too she lady was my civil, 
do you know they do you know i cried because i was i watched <laughs> a bit after everybody else so i wasn't i was spoiled about the, the one death the like the, yeah. the guy death i'm gonna say yes, yes 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 okay yeah, <laughs> it's been yeah. out for a while. Well, I knew about Matthew dying. Like I knew, like people. I remember when it was all over Tumblr and everything. People going on about. So I knew he died before I started watching, but I didn't yeah. know about Lady Sybil. Oh yeah, yeah. my word! I was crying. I was like, and then this. This is probably one of like the scenes that's like like burnt on my brain when. Um, yeah, because it's also dramatic how it happens. Yes, but no. Even after when late when uh, the Dowager Countess Violet, yes, 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 when yes, she yes. comes in and she almost like breaks herself against, like, breaks herself against a wall because she couldn't walk. Yes. She was so sad. And, I, like, yes, that, yes. like, tore at me. I was sobbing. <laughs> we had watched it when it, like, had come out, like, mm. a couple of years back. And I, I can't imagine why I put it on again. I was like, I, like, I, I, I said to myself, I, I, for some reason, I feel like the kids will enjoy the show. Right? Not that we had, like, watched three mm. pieces before or whatever, but then, I like made everybody sit down so that we could watch Downton Abbey and like thankfully they were all into it. Right? And so the show's going on and it's going on and we're getting whatever and they like just in love with Lady Sybil and they just like super Lady Sybil and whatever and all of this other kind of jazz. So then we get into this episode, right? And she's giving birth and whatever and, and they're all like, oh, the baby, the baby's coming and whatever and my wife and Ashia look and we're like, oh God, this was a mistake because these children are going to be destroyed. And I'm not sure which one of my kids saw us. <laughs> the one over there. <laughs> like, saw us look at each other. And she's like, what? What was that? What? what, what like, why did you just look at each other? And we're like, oh, no, nothing. And of course, then the scene happens and she, she dies and whatever. And obviously it was like, oh, but at least I knew it was coming this mm. time. And all four of my kids, and I kept asking over and over, is she dead? Is she dead? Is she dead? Is she, is she dead? Like, dead? is she dead? Is she really dead? And we're like, she's, like, yes, she's really dead. My second eldest daughter stopped watching the show. She's like, I'm done. That, that's where it ended. That was the last episode that she watched. I think maybe she watched someone after that because I think it was the end of the season. Mm. But she's like, I'm done. I, I don't need to know any more of this. If Lady Sybil's not in it, I don't care. But Lily James. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Lady Rose kind of is like, nah, it's a poor substitute for Lady Sybil. <laughs> it, was, it was over. So anyway, the point I was making is we love PDF pieces, right? Mm. So Howard's End is on Showmax. And I put it on because I'm like, I'm like just, I love uh, Hayley Atwell. So I put it on and speeded piece. We all came to watch it and whatever. And we... It's only four episodes. It's a mini series, mm. maybe five, but it's, it's very short, right? It's just a few episodes and it's a complete story and it's done and dusted, but it's like really well done, right? And then when it was done, done, the kids were like, where's the second season coming? Like, we need the second season. That was like, no, brief. And I was like, God, I kind of think that's it. I think it's, it's like a famous novel and whatever. Mm. I think there's more to come. And then they were like angry. It's like, why would you make us watch this stuff in this more? It's like, what's wrong with you? It's like, oh, guys, I'm sorry. I thought you would enjoy the show and whatever. But no, I love Hayley Atwell. I'll watch, I'll watch anything with Hayley Atwell. Oh, um, like my two, two favorite, like favorite, favorite actresses where mm. um, I will just watch just because they're there, right? Is Hayley Atwell and Kate Beckinsale. 
okay. So clearly, I have a thing. I have a thing for English accents. So I'm gonna. I was gonna we'll say me, it but it's that, like right? Hayley Atwell and Emma Thompson. Can yeah, yeah, not anything. Brilliant. But the, the thing, like the thing for me with Kate Beckinsale is like, I, I, it's not so much her movies, right? It's like, mm. she's like a weird, queer, quirky person. I don't know if you've ever watched any interviews with her and stuff. Know, she's like, she's, she has like the super proper upper class middle, uh, <laughs> upper middle class accent thing going on, right? But she's a real weirdo. Right, and it just appeals to me and whatever. So, like, I support the movies, and like, Hayley Atwell herself is also a very funny um, yeah. person. And I was just like, if the two of them ever make a movie together, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how, how am I going to deal with this, right? Because I, it's like I, I cannot have the two of them be in the same film at the same time. And if they were somehow to do a movie together and that movie turned out to be bad, I would be devastated. So I was like, I, I don't think like, there's just no point in watching it. Like, how could, how could Hayley Atwell and Kate Beckinsale be in a film together and it wasn't good? It's like, it would be too much for my heart to take. I don't, I don't know like how to proceed. Wait, I feel like I'm going to send you. Just, it's too much. I'm going to send you. Um, but yeah, that's like my favorite. So I'm going <laughs> to. I'm gonna send you the picture of my. Um, You're gonna send me a pic, okay? Of my birthday cake the one year, my Ellie, my at Atwell birthday cake. <laughs> my sister made for me. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, you win. <laughs> like, it wasn't a competition. <laughs> I know it wasn't a competition. There's, there's like space for everybody to be fans, but it was a competition. You win. But okay, Fine. I don't know if, if it's, it was more of a piggy card the cake than a. Um, in a in a at work like, yeah, but still. <laughs> like but she, like you see that's the thing man like she made that if you think about it right mm. like piggy carter shouldn't be that important like if you think no, about exactly. the context, like just the just the rhythm of movies and stuff and whatever and even in the, the like the the continuity of the comic books and stuff piggy carter's not that big of a deal mm. like comic book wise but she did so much with so little in mm. that role right that suddenly that character became the linchpin for this entire organization that basically dominates the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Right? So it's like, it's like, if not Peggy Carter, no S.H.I.E.L.D. If no S.H.I.E.L.D., no Nick Fury. If no Nick mm. Fury, no Avengers. Mm. But that's basically how it works. And I don't, I don't know that that was necessarily the plan, but I like to think that because she just whatever with that at all, right? Mm. If you, and I mean, she's not even really, she's not even in the steels, but she, her, her presence looms large over the entire cinematic universe. Yeah. And that's just that Hayley Atwell did that. And it's like, that's exactly. for me, that's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, I love it to be. I mean, like, they never brought, um, there's so many characters, like, okay, yes, we can say Jane Foster's coming back, but there's so many love mm. interest type characters. There are, um, what was Liv Tyler's character, Betty, Betty Ross? All of these characters. Yes, yes, yes. Like they they just almost fell by the wayside, but but yet Haley Atwell got to got to got to come into Endgame. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it would have easily been forgotten. The thing of it is, is that um, I just move quickly. The, the thing of it is, it's like like I was saying earlier, like a lot of those characters way more important than mm. way more important than 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 Peggy Carter, like in the the grand scheme of things as far as the cinematic universe is concerned and so on. And so it just changed everything just because of her performance. Like, mm. uh, what's her name? Natty Portman. 
Yeah, go on. <laughs> Conceivably a way more important actress, and I think she was also supposed to be a match with the deal. Mm. She's coming back, but I get I get what you're saying. I'm like really with you on that. Um, yeah. And that just goes to show like if you as an actor, if you deliver like the right performance, you create a legacy for yourself. Mm. Like I think she's on screen in the film, maybe. If it's 20 minutes in total, it's a lot. Mm. Um, if you think about it, right? And then you think about, like just saying earlier, the impact that she had over that entire, like how integral that character becomes going, going forward. Yeah. And I'm honestly God, I'm like repeating myself, but I really don't think that was the plan. I yeah. wish that, that there was a season three of, of, of Agent Carter, just so I could see how S.H.I.E.L.D. was started. I would have loved to have just seen that. Yeah, that was very disappointing. I think, I think like a lot of people are also just like, I really like that idea of how they were doing that thing where it would be like a season of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. and then when that would conclude and we'd get a season of Peggy Carter and then they would mm. flip-flop like that. But I think like a lot of the problems with that at least to do with like the skill of the actors and so on and a lot to do with, there wasn't really a relationship between the television production side of yeah. that and the cinematic universe side. And like going forward, that's going to change like what Disney Plus is doing now with mm. like the Loki TV series and uh, Scarlet Witch and Scarlet Witch and and, and uh, what's Soldier. it? Wonder Vision, sorry, yeah, yeah. Wonder Vision and, and all of that. That will probably be a lot better integration. But like Agents of Shield really suffered because that show deserved oh. better. Like, like I love, like I still love that show. I still think it's an excellent show. That yeah, but you but you can see it like when you watch it, you can see how they're working. They're like jumping through hoops. Mm. To not touch the cinematic stuff, you know what I mean. You yeah, can, you can you can see it, and I think you see it most of all when you see what happened at like the end of Winter Soldier when it like becomes apparent that like Hydra infiltrated. Oh, shield. I love that. It's really missed. It's, it's a mild twist, right? Uh, <laughs> but the people that were making the TV show did not know that was coming. <laughs> I guarantee you, they did not know what was coming because. Like after that, then Shield kind of becomes like this ragtag on the run, a team, a team kind of organization, and mm. it's like then suddenly it's like, well, we need to kind of separate them from what's happening in the cinematic universe. Let's save yeah. them through time. Yeah. Come so they never excuses to get them away. Yeah. yeah. And then I think there was also just also like pure ambivalence. I, I, I'm like, mm. look, we can either die for Ailey at the time, and we've basically, <laughs> basically come to that conclusion, right? Mm. Like she's our fame. Um, but. She's not as famous as she should be. I like insist that mm. it's one of those things where I, say, I don't understand. You have like this this phenomenal actress. She's got all like the classic Hollywood stuff. She's she's incredibly good looking. She's really well spoken. She's clearly very talented. She mm. can definitely act. And like she should, in my opinion, she should be like if not on the same level as a Scarlett Johansson, within at mm. least close by. Yeah. But she's never really gotten that that breakout role kind of thing. Like, even like the discussion that we're having now, right? It's like, we're still talking about it in the context of Peggy Carter. Mm. But where, where is, where is Heidi Atwell's starting role where you go, like, oh, she's, she's known for being this person in, in such and such film. Like, she hasn't had that moment yet and I'm like, I'm, it's like, I don't understand why. I like, think she needs to fire her agent or something. <laughs> and get somebody else that's like really looking out for a kind of jazz. 
But like, but the point is, go and watch Howard Hill. Is what I'm saying. Definitely, I'm gonna watch it after this. That was our interview with Zaid. You can find him at Zaid Creel on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find IGN Africa at IGN Africa on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and check out their website. Links to everything discussed will be in the show notes. Me, you can find at Karen Walby on Instagram and at Karen Walby's with an S on Twitter. Sign up for my newsletter, Wild Streams, at wildstreams.substack.com. Me, you can find in the dark corners of social media. <laughs> okay. Um, the podcast you can find at Crashing on Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find more information about this and all our other episodes on our website, crushingonpodcast.com, and send any feedback to crushingonpod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group, Crushing on Club, where we chat about the show, celebrity news, recommendations, all shebang. The show is produced by us, Karen and Rebecca Barchers. The show was edited and engineered by Rebecca Barchers. Our logo was designed by Nathifa Maruf. And the show was created in partnership with IGN Africa. If you like the show, tell everyone that you can any way that you can. Keep up to date with all our episodes by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts as it helps others find the show. We'll be back next week with another in-depth conversation with a pop culture lover. See you then. Hey everyone, last week on the show we were joined by Taryn Cadre, the host of the podcast What's the Quarantine? If you haven't listened to the episode yet, it's an insightful one about microaggressions, reality shows and much more. But more than that, I want to encourage you to listen to Taryn's podcast, which is such an important and interesting space that focuses on education and identity. In the last episode, she chatted with Mia Arden, the author of the book Mermaid Filet, about the book mental health, sexual abuse, amongst other topics. It's a must listen. You can get the podcast on all major podcast platforms. And once again, it's called What's the Quarantine? But listen to Taryn explain more about it here. Even for me as the host, like I'm also unlearning. So the space is about Mm. learning. I would describe the space as a place to come and put your cuck in a box and let's unpack it. Let's throw the things that you will have a problem with and let's sort it out one by one. You know? Mm. That's what I would say. The show, what the show represents for me. And I think it's also specifically focused on the identity crisis of people who call themselves colored. Mm. I definitely want to focus on that end amongst other things but that's like where the core messaging lies